Good morning once again. Greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus. Perfect Savior, soon coming King. We have been looking at what Peter wrote to the church of his day, and we are reminded that the Word of God is eternally fresh, eternally new, eternally relevant. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. Thank you, musicians. So that's what Peter's talking about. He's saying that Jesus didn't come to make bad people into good people. He didn't come to make irreligious people into worshipers. Essentially, Jesus came to make dead people spiritually alive. And so he's talking in 1 Peter about the importance, the vital importance of the new birth. God has given us the born-again experience. Without the born-again experience, there is no Christianity. Ladies, you have been mothers. Was there a time when you were, were almost pregnant or nearly pregnant or a little bit pregnant? You either are or you aren't. Christian, you're either born again or you're not. There isn't an almost Christian or an almost child of God. You're either in the kingdom or not in the kingdom. Now, it is that narrow. So the preacher, that's, that's awfully narrow-minded. Jesus said the way is narrow, and there are few that find it. So walk in this way. Now this morning, as you sit there, I believe you have a right to ask of the preacher a really, really important question. In fact, every time that God's people come together and the preacher stands up to open this book to bring a message, there is an important question you have the right to ask. That question is, Sir, is there a word from the Lord? Is there a word from the Lord? You haven't come here this morning to hear my opinions. You haven't come here this morning to be blessed by the largesse or the absence of any education I might have. You have come here to say, is there a time that God has spoken to you to bring us a message? I have believed in my heart that First Peter is the message for this church in this transition time until the glorious moment comes when he sends you your full-time shepherd. So let's pick up the reading from where we left it off last week. Did some of you manage to get the message online last week? Some of you did? So those who didn't, listen up quickly, you've got to catch up. First Peter chapter 2, and we're going to read from verse 13 to the end of chapter 2. Submit yourselves to the, for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority, or governors who are sent by him, by the king, to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. 
How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. For by his wounds, you've been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have turned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I want to jump off the message from those final words we just read. You were like sheep going astray. One morning, I was with a farmer, and we were watching one of his shepherds leading the flock up a hill to some very green pastures at the top of the hill. Halfway up the hill, one of the sheep decided that off to the right was something that looked like green pastures, and the sheep bolted. Guess what the other sheep did? Instead of following the shepherd, off they went into the thicket. I thought to myself, we have been like sheep going astray. We have, as the prophet said in the Old Testament, we have turned everyone to our own way. That was the pre-born again experience of us all. We followed this world and its thoughts and its ways and its mores and its patterns of behavior. We lived to stay in step with the world in which we lived. We were educated to that by our society. We conformed to this world. We were like sheep going astray. Peter's writing about a brand new experience. Peter's saying that Although we were like sheep going astray, now we have turned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. What is one of the things of the born-again experience? It is an about-turn experience. It is an about-face experience. In my younger years, I was part of the officer training corps in the military, and when you're giving marching orders upon the parade ground, the whole bunch are marching in one direction, and you want them to turn around. There is a command you give, and the command is about face. And when you say about face, they mean to turn around and go back the way they came. There's a sense in which the born-again experience is an about face experience. Now, from this passage we read this morning, as well as the couple that we've gone through already, I want to speak to us about a couple of big words. Anybody here afraid of big words? I certainly am myself at times. When you hear them, you wonder, what on earth do they mean? Well, I hope by the end of this morning, a couple of big words that pertain to the born-again experience will no longer be strangers to either you or I. The first big word we're going to come across when we think about this experience is the word soteriological. Can you say soteriological? Soteriological. Soteriology, it means simply the study of salvation. The study of the born-again experience. Now, 
the first question that arises when you talk about the study of salvation, you say, saved from what? What were we saved from? If you were drowning and the lifesaver dove into the water and swam towards you and dragged you out to the shore, you would have no problem saying, he saved me from death in the water. He saved me from being drowned in the waves. So when God has saved us, what is the thing he has saved us from? I contend that the biggest thing God saved me from was me. God saved me from the way of life in which I was going. God saved me from the consequences of where my life was headed. God saved me from the results of the decisions, the wrong decisions that I had made. That is part of the salvation experience. We deserved the results of our sinful way of life. What is sin? Sin is simply acting by decision to disobey the known will of God. Here you will find the known will of God in this book. It is not mysterious. God has made very clear what he wants of humanity. What is sin? Sin is saying, sorry God, we will do as we please. We will do what we want to do. So soteriology is the study of how God saves us from the results of where we were headed. Now, the method he chose is right here at the end of the passage we read this morning. He, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we may die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you were healed. Here's the great news. It's incredible news. We should have perished because of our sins. God in Jesus took the punishment for us. He himself upon the cross paid in full the price of my sin, your sin. He paid that we may not have to bear the consequences of our sin. Soteriology then is the first result of the born again experience you begin to realize practically that your sins are forgiven. Though your sins were as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, is the promise of the first chapter of Isaiah. God says, I will not remember your sins anymore. I'll cast them behind my back. They'll no longer be a part of reality. Sin can be paid for by the precious blood of our Lord Jesus. That is the glory of soteriology. But there is another result of our salvation. You were not saved to be an island by yourself, just you and God. You were saved for this experience that this building represents. You were saved to be part of a family that is both international and down through the ages. So, the second result of the born-again experience is that it is ecumenical. Now, do not be afraid of the word ecumenical. It's simply talking about all being in the same boat. There is a sense in which every born-again child of God is part of the whole church of God, both in the country in which you live, in the town in which you live, in the the world in which you live, but also down through the history. You have become part of the bride of Christ. 
the ecumenical result of being born again is you're no longer an island by yourself. You have been added to God's church throughout the years. There will come a moment when Jesus comes again, when the whole bride of Christ will be gathered to the marriage supper of the Lamb. There will come a moment, ecumenically, when every born-again believer from the day of Pentecost all the way through to this day until the day Jesus comes again, every believer is going to be at that marriage feast. You too. You too. You will be part of that great ecumenical body of the whole bride of Christ. Peter talks about an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, though you're strangers in the world, you're scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Those are just provinces in the Roman Empire. He talks about, I'm writing to you, even though you're scattered, you're all one people. Know this. You're not alone in this world. You are part of the great family of God. You are part of an ecumenical bride of Christ. But you know, it is not just historical and international. It is also local. And so, Peter says a couple of things about our relationship with each other. One of them we've covered already. It says that we should love one another deeply from the heart. Now, it is not really possible for you to love the saints of say, 500 years ago, deeply from your heart. You can respect what Martin Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and Wesley and them all did back then. You can read about it and be admi admire it. You can admire missionaries from 100 years ago as to where they went around the world and what they did. But you cannot love them deeply from your heart because they are, they are, they are removed from you both historically and physically. Where God expects you to love is right here, right now, among these people. One of my mentors said to me, Andrew, to live above with the saints you love, meaning heaven, to live above with the saints you love is going to be grace and glory, but to live down here with the saints you know, that's another story. The reality is, though, that we are called to an ecclesiastical gathering and fellowship. Ecclesiology just means the study of the local church. The study of gathering together here where you are. In Hebrews, whoever wrote that book, and there's all kinds of debate as to who did, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 it says, Do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together. Don't give up on meeting together. Now, when everybody is nice to you and smiles at you and gives you a warm welcome and tells you how wonderful you are and how good it is to see you, it's fine then to enjoy meeting together. But sometimes they're in a bad mood and sometimes you're in a bad mood and sometimes you get it, don't you? Sometimes living down below with the saints you know is another story. Nevertheless, Peter's saying one of the results of the born-again experience is that God's expecting you to get on with each other. God's expecting you to love those who are of God's family. He talks about love the brotherhood, 
which is just that old-fashioned way of saying love God's family. We have come to a time of kind of political correctness where any time a, a translation of the Bible says love the brotherhood, all the ladies get upset and say, have we been ex excluded? That's just a modern thing. Always, down through the years, that phrase has meant the whole family of God. So when the Bible's talking to you about your ecclesiastical results of being born again, you recognize that it is not by accident that you are part of a family like this that meets here at Real Life Church in this town, in this time. God has intended for you to be part of his family. It is one of the direct results of being born again. Show me a child of God who doesn't believe in going to church and I question whether they're still born again. Show me somebody who says, well, it's just me and God. Me and God in my quiet time at home, we get on so well. I can't go to church because they're at church. People rub me the wrong way. Maybe they're supposed to rub you the wrong way. Perhaps there's some things in you that need to be rubbed off. Maybe God's using them to show you a few areas of self-centeredness that still remain. And that you need to understand that part of growing as a Christian is getting on with each other. Now, let's look at another one of the big words that has to do with the born-again experience. We've spoken about soteriological, we've spoken about ecumenical, spoken about ecclesiastical. Let's talk about theological. One of the first things that happens when you're born again is a brand new relationship between you and God and an understanding of who he really is begins to grow. You have been translated into the kingdom of Christ, God's dear son. You have been granted a brand new relationship with God. Perhaps before you were born again, you believed in God, but did not know him intimately. Perhaps before you were born again, you felt yourself to be a religious person, but did not understand the fatherhood of Almighty God. Peter's talking about a God who chose us from time past. He talks about you are a chosen generation. You're a holy priesthood. In the old English Bible, it talked about you are a peculiar people. And having been a pastor all these many years, I understand just how peculiar God's people can be. However, God has chosen you to be his own people. Peter says, at one time you were not a people. At one time you didn't have any relationship with him or with each other. But now you are the people of God. So how does God make this choice of who is in his family? Part of the theological problems that churches have had is a great deal of straining over gnats, trying to struggle to understand on what basis does God make the choice. Well, to me it's very simple, and maybe I'm a bit oversimple, but when I read these words, you who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. To me, the secret is God's foreknowledge. There are some people these days who don't believe God knows the future. He's the kind of God who's like a chess player, 
and he's watching how we move and responding to whatever moves we make with a better move by himself and trying to predict how the game goes so that it's you and me playing chess against somebody like perhaps Boris Spassky or one of those people from the days gone by. God knows the future. Peter says, by the foreknowledge of God, by the ahead knowledge of God, God already knows who is going to accept the offer of his grace who is going to become a child of God, he knows it already, and he has chosen you according to his foreknowledge. After this sermon, if you want to ask some questions, I'd be happy to stay, and we can talk about some of these matters in more detail if you have the time to do that. For now, let me just say, you are a chosen people. You are the apple of God's eye. You are the people that God has selected through whom he wants to reveal his glory to all mankind, all womankind, all the people of the earth. There is a theological aspect of being born again. Instead of relating to a God who is somewhere far away, you begin to relate to a God who has adopted you into his family. You begin to, adopt to, begin to relate to a father figure God who loves you more than any earthly father ever could. That is the theological aspect of being born again. Now hold on to your seats, because there is also a political aspect for being born again. Up until now, we've talked about the spiritual dimension of being a child of God. We've talked about how your relationship with God is both eternal because he has called you to a living hope that lasts eternity. We've also talked about your relationship with one another as Christians. But in the first verse we read this morning, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Peter how on earth could you write those words to those people in that day when you knew that the Roman emperors were a corrupt bunch? How can you expect God's people to submit to the governors of those days? Many of them had bought their positions through connivory and simony. Yet Peter writes it under the inspiration of God. Children of God cannot be known as anarchists in any country, no matter how the final decision is made with regard to who the next president of this country is, the word of God is very clear to you. Submit to those who are in authority. You may have your own thoughts as to who won or who should have won or did win or didn't win. In the end, it becomes irrelevant. God's saying he does not want his people to be known as chip-on-the-shoulder anarchists who do everything they can to defeat human government. He says that government is instituted by God to commend those who do right and to punish those who do wrong. It is God's will that you should silence foolish talk do not get involved as a born-again believer in foolish talk in politics because your political reputation should be a person who loves justice, a person who loves honesty, but a person who is willing to work for the best of his or her community. God is looking for 
believers who will do their very best under the circumstances in which they live. Yes, perhaps even now you're thinking of some questions you want to ask me afterwards. Let me hasten to end this point by saying this. Do you think for one moment that American Christians are the worst off of all the people under all the governments that are in the earth today? Of course not. The reality is that many of the governments upon the face of the earth today are corrupt governments. Many of the governments on the face of the earth today are incredibly ideologically bent against the word of God. Nevertheless, in all those countries all over the world, this same verse applies to every born-again believer. You are not called to anarchy. You are called to make the best of the situation in which you find yourself. Verse 17, show proper respect to everyone. Honor the king. It's not about whether the king deserves the honor because of his or her personal moral abilities. It is because there is an office instituted by God that needs to be shown respect. Let's move on to the last of the big words we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about one of the effects of the born-again experience is sociological. Sociological simply means to live within the system of the society in which you find yourself. Now, that's not to say that you conform to this world's standards. It's not to say that you do as the world does, but it is to say that whatever the situation is in the sociological way in which your society is constructed, you are expected to live as God's people within that society. Many raise their eyebrows when they come to verse 18. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. What? Is the Bible in favor of slavery now? Not at all. Remember a couple of verses earlier, Peter says, live like free people. The Bible's not in favor of slavery. But the Bible understood that slavery was, at the time when Peter wrote this, one of the institutional ways in which life was conducted at that time in the Roman Empire. And Peter says the most important thing about the born-again believer's life is not to overturn the sociological structures of their society. The most important thing is to live for Christ within that society. The most important thing is to live as a good witness within the society as you found it. Now, he says, don't only submit to those who are kind or good and considerate. Even be in submission to those who are harsh. That goes against the grain for us in our modern society, doesn't it? Just change the metaphor a little bit. Submit and honor every boss in every company where you work. Not just to those who are good to you, but even to those who treat you badly. I'm sorry, but I'm not taking that. No boss is going to tell me my fortune. I demand to have my respect. I know my rights. You're not going to find that here in the Word of God. You see, Peter, and I'm drawing this to a conclusion, Peter takes the Lord Jesus himself 
and holds him out as our example. And says, when he was insulted, he didn't speak back. When he suffered, he didn't try to get even. When Jesus suffered, he suffered graciously, kindly. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, it says, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. He did not open his mouth. He did not curse or revile. Peter holds Jesus up to us for our sociological results of being born again. He says, you live like Jesus did amidst the wickedness and brokenness of the society in which he found himself. I have no desire to have impressed you with big words this morning. I simply use them in those are the common words that are used for to describe the various aspects of the born-again experience. But I do have this desire. I have this desire that what Peter has said here in his letter, written by the inspiration of God, would so translate into your daily actions so that Monday to Sunday, wherever you find yourself, you would be living the born-again experience in all its various aspects. God desires to advertise through you. You are a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. You see, he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light so that you might show forth the praises of God. Your mission in this world is neither ease nor luxury, not even health or wealth or fame. Your mission in this world is to show forth the praises of him who has set you free from the old way of life, given you an eternal inheritance, written your name upon a mansion in glory, and said, you are my special people. You go forth into this world and you live like Jesus that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Yep, such a message does raise all kinds of issues, doesn't it? The Bible's like that. The Bible causes us to think beyond the comfort of a narrow little sphere. Again, I ask God's blessing upon you. Then I'm just going to wait down the front here in case anybody wants to ask me a question. You'll be welcome to. We've got time, don't we? We've got time to do that. Would you stand for prayer? Our gracious Father... I am mindful that your word says that all scripture is given by your inspiration and is profitable. Profitable for building us up, sometimes rebuking us, sometimes correcting us, sometimes teaching us. All of it, every word given by your Holy Spirit as holy people, wrote down what you were inspiring into their hearts. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of both 
hearing and speaking this special word from your servant Peter. We pray now, Lord, that you would use this word to grow us in our Christian experience. For we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus, knowing that grace, mercy, and peace will be upon us in this week that lies ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.